Hey there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five tenets of journalism, who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You are listening to episode 22, where we chat with Jen. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right. So, Jen, who are you? Hi. I'm Jen Vargas. I'm a 42-year-old white cisgender female. Um, I'm polyamorous, pansexual, pagan, divorced, single parent. I also teach yoga and um, fancy myself a bit of an artist. And um, my style of polyamory is solo poly with a big old scoop of relationship anarchy on top. And I am also Lindsay's Mudmore. Yes. (laughs) I think that has gone through all of the possible identities. So I feel like you've really answered that question really, really well. I came a little prepared. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, what drew you to polyamory, Jen? Um, back in 2011, I was living in San Diego and I was really content in a monogamous marriage, but I was exploring my spirituality and, um, I fell in with a pagan group there and there's some crossover between the pagan community and the Tantra community. So somewhere between like pagan events and Tantra events, I came across this idea of polyamory and I was like, oh many loves. Yes, I love this idea. And again, like I was in a monogamous marriage and I was pretty happy there, but I also was at a point where I recognized kind of the limitations of it. You know, there there were things like for me talking about emotions and feelings and what you're thinking and ideas like that's kind of my bread and butter and for my husband at the time like that was painful stuff. Like he he's a military man, he didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Um, so the idea of like having those things met by other people was really appealing. So I was the one who took the idea of opening up our marriage to him and he was open to the idea, but he's kind of like, let's explore it a little bit in theory, like let's learn more information about it. And because of him being in the military, he was gone a lot. He was training and deployments kind of fell on me and I went to the workshops and I read the books and um, San Diego has a great community for polyamory and, you know, resources and stuff like that. Uh, And then I would take what I learned back to him and we would talk about it. And that lasted about a year of us um, just kind of talking through things. And during that time, I was also getting treatment for infertility which was um, caused by an undiagnosed eating disorder. And it was this whole big, long thing. And like I said, about a year into it, I ended up through IVF getting pregnant. And then we had this new discussion of like, are we still thinking about opening up our relationship or not? And we decided to kind of put it on the back burner because, you know, many loves, we're having a baby. This is more love we're bringing into our lives. Like, let's explore that. So that's kind of where my interest into polyamory started. And then it kind of ended, too, for a bit. It got put on the back burner. So I think I just wanted to add on to that, that um, shortly after our daughter was born, 
um, our relationship kind of downward spiraled very quickly. We went through a whole bunch of really big life changes and um, we ended up separating. And then after some time, it was actually the fall of 2014 is when I wanted to start dating again. And that's when I knew like, all right, I had all this knowledge about polyamory and on paper, it sounds really good and I'm really interested in it, but will it work for me in practice? So that's when I started dating and that's when I feel like my poly journey really started. Sure. And was that still in San Diego? And at that point I was in Milwaukee actually, so yeah. Uh, so what does polyamory mean to you? It's so adorable that you're taking you have all these notes. You have to leave in the sound of a paper turning. <laughs> I'm making so much editing for you. I'm sorry. And, well, you are not the I'm only so one nervous. who came with serious notes. I promise. Yeah. The question was, what does polyamory mean to me? Mm -hmm. I don't even know that I did that one. <laughs> it's okay. There's Shit. no pop quiz. You don't have to get the answer right. Yeah. Uh -huh. We just want to kind of It could be the think. most simple possible like, answer. I think polyamory, like so many people have said before, like it has so much to do with freedom and the freedom to create your own relationships. And that I find is really appealing to me. I think there's this societal expectation of what loving relationships are supposed to look like. But I think love is a really big spectrum and depending on where the relationships fall on that spectrum, the relationships can look a lot different from each other. And just being able to, you know, kind of tailor make your own relationships to what the people in them need or want. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you find anything difficult about polyamory or being poly? Uh, what I find interesting is like I've listened to all the podcasts and so many people say like time management and managing expectations and time management really hasn't been a huge issue for me. And maybe that's because I'm selfish and I'm like, my time comes first. <laughs> I don't think that's selfish. I think that's like taking care of yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Self-care. Yeah. Um, but I also have this idea that like, everything happens in its own time. So I'm also not like rushing into any relationships and just letting them develop as they want to. Um, so, you know, I, if a partner only has certain time for me and I'm not available at that time, it's like, I'm sorry, I already have plans. Maybe next time, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and also managing expectations, I think, is something that comes up more often for me, but still not often enough um, for it to really be an issue. What for me personally has come up as a difficulty is hierarchical re relationships and um, getting involved. A, a lot of times um, I end up dating or seeing people talking with people who typically men who are already in established relationships. And I've had that happen where the spouse has outright used veto power saying, you can't see Jen anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I've also, in one instance, there was a woman kind of out of left field. She went away on a vacation, came back and was like, and we're not poly anymore at all. Mm -hmm. Like just closed down the whole relationship. 
Okay. What, um, what happened on that vacation? Oh, right, wow. right. She, <laughs> she, she did a lot of thinking, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Big life evaluations. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, more often what has happened is that I get involved with someone who already has a primary relationship and something happens in that relationship where they're like, I don't want to break up with you. I don't want to end our relationship. But this is going in on in my main relationship. So, like, I need to put you on the back burner. And, like, my own stuff, my own history and everything like that kind of gets pulled into this, my own issues with being put in a secondary position. Um, and that just, it doesn't feel healthy for me. No, absolutely. I totally totally relate to what you're saying yeah yeah i've also i i i joke that i like strictly date married men so i'm like i always feel that right yeah. like, you always feel a little secondary and i think now at this point maybe in my 20s it bothered me way more but now because i have a family and multiple jobs and like so much going on sometimes being a secondary is almost like liberating in a way because i'm like oh i don't have to i don't have any responsibilities <laughs> with this relationship it's kind of chill but yeah i totally get that feeling of just being like oh yeah i well, guess I, we can reschedule again you know right <laughs> right yeah. but i think when you're in that sort of solo poly position it's not like you you already have declared like your own kind of autonomous zone and then to be in a relationship with someone else who's like yeah, I'm not really as autonomous as that. I'm really more in this complicated situation that's adjacent to your situation. And <laughs> it can feel really second class. Yeah. Right. For sure. Right. And that sucks. Yeah. So um, I guess you kind of went over this, but did you feel poly even before you started researching it? Like, when did you start to feel poly? I honestly... <sighs> You know, it's one of those things like growing up that I I never had really any close friends or anything like that. Part of that was because we moved really often. Um, but I just never was comfortable with that you're only allowed to have one best friend thing. Um, so I think like that was always with me. But I also didn't have any problems being monogamous when I was in a monogamous relationship. Um when I started exploring Polly, when I first started dating in 2000, the end of 2014 into the beginning of 2015, I lovingly referred to that as my monogamy hangover time. <laughs> I am dying to know what that means. That is a great <laughs> phrase. It was my monogamy hangover. Because I had all this knowledge about Polly and I knew like there's no one right way to do Polly. But yet when I was dating, like I was looking for that primary partner who like I could nest with and build a life with and then I could have other relationships too with you know mm -hmm. outside of and still thinking in the hierarchy mindset exactly right? yeah. exactly because I it's sort my of an escalator kind of monogamy hangover yeah. <laughs> oh that's great I love that description that's um, yeah so and I did during the end of 2014 beginning of 2015 I really treated that time as an experiment. Like I was coming out of this monogamous relationship um, that was over a decade um, being with the same person. And like I wanted to find out what was out there, you know, what was dating like now and who was I? What did I want? What was I looking for in a relationship? Um, so 
I <laughs> quickly got in over my head where I had like four people I was seeing on a regular basis. Plus then just dating. I, I, I swear I had at least like two to three dates a week, if not four or five, like just meeting new people and having these experiences. I really wanted to know, you know, if Polly was for me. Um, and I ended up falling for one of the guys pretty hard. And he was not Polly, but willing to try. I don't know if you've run into any of these. Uh, yep. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> and everything actually went really well in the relationship for a while until he also started dating people who were not really Polly, but willing to try. Mm. And then they liked him and were like, okay, now let's be exclusive. And he was like, but, but mm. Jen, <laughs> like I'm still seeing Jen. <laughs> um, and everything just kind of fell apart and in in all of that, everything falling apart and being heartbroken and ending all my relationships. I was like, this is, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to figure this all out. Um, I also, you know, kind of just turned off emotionally and became emotionally unavailable. It was in that that I had this idea of like, oh my God, this is what I want. Like, I can't go back to being monogamous now. Mm-hmm. Like this is so much of um, so much experience. They're, these are the life experiences I want to have. I want to experience life to its fullest. And I can't do that by going back into my box of being monogamous. I can definitely see where that also might be an element of the monogamy hangover. Like mm-hmm. you had sort of thrown yourself so much out there. Yeah. <laughs> You get the poly hangover right, too. Right. 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 You're like, oh no, I just need a, a cleanse. Need all <laughs> <the things. laughs> it's like the pendulum was way too far right. on one side yeah. and then it swings way too far on like, the other okay, side. I know this is the right path, but I don't think I'm in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, was there a point in time when. Um, when you were younger that you felt different? I mean, I think you've identified in a lot of the things that you talked about at the beginning that are ways that I can imagine might be a sort of a different experience from the mainstream, the pagan and... That actually wasn't like how I was brought up or anything like that, though. And, you know, for most of my life, really, I just kind of felt like I was normal. Like everything I experienced was normal. Everybody else's life is just like this, too. Um, And I honestly don't think it was until probably in my late 20s, early 30s, where I all of a sudden kind of noticed a shift in my thinking from the people who were around me. Like I was starting to question things more and like, why do we do this? And um, why does it have to be this way? And I, I think one of the big turning points for me was my mom and I were very, very close for a while. And we would have these, you know, hours long conversations. And she began asking me, like, why do you want to make your life so difficult? Mm. And for me, I'm like, I don't feel that I'm making my life more difficult. And yeah, it might be unconventional, but it's working for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So where do you feel you are in your poly journey? Um, I am extremely happy where I am in my poly journey. I have two partners 
Rob is one of them. Um, the other one is a monopoly relationship, which um, can be challenging from time to time to navigate. Um, and then I also have a comet, as well as some other connections and bonds um, with people who, like, we don't have good labels for our relationships. They're on the love spectrum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally get it. Yeah. Um, I did want to share from the experiences I've had along my poly journey and where I am now, I've been able to identify like three things that I feel I need for a healthy relationship. And this is probably just within the past year or two that I've really like identified these and nailed them down. And the first one is I need to feel respected. And that's more than just... I need to know that if I say stop, you'll stop. Or if I say no, you'll respect. Like, it's more than just that. It's, um, I also need to feel that you value my ideas and my thoughts and that kind of thing. I've had, you know, that one relationship that ended horribly. He, he flat out told me, like, some of the things that you think and believe are stupid. And I'm like... I am a culmination mm-hmm. of my thoughts and beliefs. Like mm-hmm. you're literally telling me I am stupid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to be taken seriously as a person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, the second thing is to feel that I am on that loved, cared for spectrum. Like we don't need to be, you know, googly eyed, falling o- head over heels for each other. Um, But I also like, I want to know you care for me. I don't want to be a convenience, which has happened in relationships, too, where um, it's like you only call me when you're lonely kind of Mm -hmm. thing. The booty call. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, And then the third thing is to be prioritized. And I don't need to be that top priority, especially being solo poly. Like, I love having my own independence. Um but, like, again, don't cancel plans on me at last minute, you know. And on the other end of that spectrum, I also don't want to feel over-prioritized. I don't want to feel like you're canceling plans with your friends to make time for me just because I happen to be free and you're not, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those are the three things that um, I need to feel like I have a healthy relationship. Well, that's really cool. It's, yeah. like, very... It's useful to know those things and be able to identify them. I think a lot of times we can kind of just get in this, like, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. It's not working. (laughs) I can't figure out why, you know, and to be able to really articulate it, it, like, that's a super useful tool. Yeah. I I think Cunning Minx calls that the user manual where you, like, you can write out your user manual and give it to people if you want to, you know, in the beginning of a relationship and be like, these are my needs. <laughs> these right. are my wants and desires, but these are my needs, you know? Well, I also recognize, like, this is where I'm at right now. I mean, when I was in my monogamy hangover, I wanted a primary partner, you know? Mm-hmm. It was completely different set of needs and wants. And I expect, you know, five, ten years from now, I'll be looking maybe for something different, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that we all, where you are right now, you have a different set of needs than you're going to have when your child is older, when Correct. The, your other life circumstances might change in various unpredictable ways. Like, 
we just change. I mean, and that's kind of exciting. So it's useful. Like, this is where you are now. And it's probably going to be true for a while. But, you know, three years from now, some parts of it might not be true. Right. Um, I think that kind of covers where do you hope to go, maybe. But if you had other (laughs) things you wanted to say about that, where Um, do you hope to go in your poly journey? I think, yeah, as far as where I'd like to go in my poly journey, I'd love to nourish the current relationships that I have. So I have found that my poly saturation point is about four relationships, mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on the intensity of them. Um, right now with the uh, two partner relationships and then a comet, I kind of feel like I'm at two and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, over the summer, I anticipate that my schedule will free up a little bit and I've been looking forward to the possibility of dating a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and Again, Totally relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just doing more things um, socially and with a, the group, with the poly group, I think we have a great community here. And um, a lot of the people who are in that group are on my love spectrum. <laughs> and to be able to spend time with all of them together is great. For a, for a while, especially when Sandy was on and we were talking about uh, poly saturation points, I she said her saturation point was two. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I think at the time I really only had, like, I was really only seeing Rob. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, two makes sense. And then, you know, like, over the course of, you know, the past couple months, I'm, like, technically going out with, like, six people. And I was like, but what is a relationship? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, right. like, what counts? What counts as a number? And what's a half? You right, know, like, right. <laughs> like, so if it's casual and I only see them once a month and it's purely, like, friends with benefits... Does that even count? I don't know. Point one, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to yeah. half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think that, and I, I wish I had really thought more about polysaturation points when, when Sandy had came on, come on, and that was her topic because I feel like there really is a lot to delve into as to like, well, what even counts as a relationship? What, what saturates you? You know, like. But I think that's a great question. So yeah. I mean, what saturates you? Well, I think that like time and commitment is probably the most. So I feel like I can have technically an infinite amount of relationships right because if i only see someone once every three months that leaves a lot of time open and a lot of availability for another relationship to begin where i only see them every three months you know like or something like that it i could be seeing six people and and not see a single one of them all week you know and so right so yeah so i feel like it really it really depends on how much time they want if they're seeing many people also then it kind of makes it a little bit more easy to only see them a certain amount of time and and uh and not feel like you're neglecting them or that you're not really i don't know fostering the relationship because if it's a good relationship you can pick right up where you left off right right Right. so what about you what what makes a relationship a relationship or a half a relationship (laughs) or a polysaturated (laughs) counting relationship probably the time management um like my comet uh it did not start off that way we were seeing each other really regularly. So he lives out of state, uh, but works in Milwaukee. And when we first met, he was here just about every week, Monday through Friday. So I got to see him at least once a week. Um, And after a few months, his company got bought out and his position changed. So now he is an international man of mystery. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sexy. It's so funny. I was talking with him last night and I was talking about being on the podcast and he's like, so when I listen, like, how do I know you're going to talk about me? Are you going to use my name? I was like, well, what do you want? 
like how do you want me to refer to you and uh we were joking then about like the international man of mystery <laughs> I love it. that's his name now <laughs> that's his name bond yeah. now right? like in the future when i run into you i'll be like how's the international <laughs> man of mystery <laughs> so w- when that happened though our relationship um changed so that i was only seeing him maybe like eight times a year instead of the once a week which was a hard adjustment for me to make but now it it works well and knowing that we can still maintain our relationship outside of seeing each other you know calling each other messaging each other that helps a lot but it's still it's not like uh, I see him often or our lives are not integrated, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a important variable potentially for that sort of polysaturation point. Like it, as soon as those words left my mouth, I started questioning myself about <laughs> the argument in my head about whether I thought that or not, <laughs> but it could be a variable. I mean, yeah. it's really maybe about how much kind of emotional energy is being gone into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that, is sometimes a factor of that and sometimes I've lost totally my train of thought on this. <laughs> well yeah, you can have a lot of emotional attachment and not see each other very right. often. So right. yeah, you could you could re- or put a lot of emotional energy into a relationship that is long distance that right. you only see them once a month or once every six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I'd say right now probably that relationship that I'm in that has the that is the most that needs the most emotional energy, that takes the most emotional energy. I don't mean that in a bad way, but like where I'm like most focused and, focused yeah. and diving all my pouring all my emotional energy is my comet relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, eight times a year kind of sounds great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Squad goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think it also, maybe there's kind of a longevity element that contributes to whether it's going to contribute to your saturation point. Like a new relationship might take up a lot of energy in the short term, but I don't know. Yeah, none of these variables, actually. As soon as I say them, I'm like, but what about? But not necessarily, yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think that comes back to each relationship being so unique, you know, and that's one of the great things about Polly is being able to honor that uniqueness of the relationship, what it needs. And, you know, I'm... Not one of those. I don't know. I see. I can't say that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. It's one of these topics where as soon as you start saying something, you're like, ah, do I think that, that doesn't work? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, never mind. <laughs> I That's not a hard going, and fast no. rule. <laughs> yeah. It's not a hard and fast rule. So I guess the answer there is this is part of where we talk about our just plain complicated. <laughs> but but you have figured out that for you, wherever these variables are, somewhere around four is where you max out and usually yeah and i think it for me i use the word intensity it depends on the intensity of the relationship that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. so why do you think you are poly similar to my answer earlier like i love not being bound by the societal expectations of what loving relationships look like Mm -hmm. so why did you agree to be interviewed today Um, I think this podcast is a really great resource for people who are new to poly, as well as those who 
are where I was, you know, and that exploring it in theory. Mm-hmm. Because again, you, I had that idea, like there's no one right way to do poly, but yet I was like, I need a primary partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So actually like hearing people's stories instead of just a generalization of like, yeah, you can do it however it works for you, mm-hmm. you know, hearing how it actually works for other people, I think is, is wonderful. And um, I'm really honored to be here and be able to share my story. And I think it's great that you two are doing this. And I really want to thank you, Lindsay, for all the work you've done over the years for the poly community. And I think you've really created something wonderful here. I'm pretty proud I agree. of it. That is pretty yeah. really awesome. Thank <laughs> I do. You. I do we love don't acknowledge this little community. you for that quite enough. <laughs> but that is something that's actually really, Aww. we are very fortunate in Milwaukee to have this longevity and this robustness of a community and and the you healthiness have done a lot of that work really? so yes. thank you no problem <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i was talking to somebody recently about like you know how it kind of sucks to live in wisconsin but at the same time i have created these communities that and not even just the poly group like uh my burlesque troupe and the uh people i i knit with and you know like my crafting community and but specifically the poly community because that's what i put most of my time and energy into that I feel like in so many communities there the poly groups last a year or two you know like uh or they fracture I know Chicago has like 28 poly communities yeah yeah, and it's I mean Chicago is a much bigger place than us but like Maybe not 28 poly groups bigger than us, you know. Right, so. right. It seems like it could be like three poly groups. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, um, I think part of what I love about it, too, is it feels like a real community and not just like a meat market. Oh, yes. You know? Yes, yeah. So it, it feels healthy. It's educational and social, not just, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, and my friend who lives in Vegas, uh, apparently the poly community there is a meat market where they're all every meetup is a play party and every meetup is clothing optional and i was like wow and i was like seriously really um surprised by this because i was like we don't have that at all like that's not that's not how we do. We have potlucks. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Every like, week to the barbecue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, please keep your clothes happen, on while you're having barbecue yeah, because you're not the street visible. Yes. <laughs> yes. That too. Yeah. So I was really, uh, I thought that was uh, super interesting, but also so different. And that's not what she wanted. So it was also like uh, a huge disconnect from her and her community because it, she was like, I don't want to be on a uh, in the meat market, you know, like, right. I want a community where we can just hang out and talk. So yeah, so I, I definitely love that our community is n- does not get, get that creepy vibe. But I hope people don't feel that creepy vibe. <laughs> I think I sometimes my I don't know, it's weird. I think working at a sex toy store, people will sometimes like, try to talk really sexy or talk like really like, like they're coming on to me or something. And I shut it down. And I'm very clinical. And I'm very like, uh, professional that they immediately write themselves. They're like, Oh, Oh, this isn't that kind of store. Cause we don't, we don't, right. it's not the side of the highway type of store. Right. So they, not that they there's correct. anything wrong with that. No, no, <laughs> but you know, it's just, yeah. and not, and, totally and not that those vibe. employees deserve to be harassed, but, no. but I just, I make it like, this is an educational space. And I'm going to talk to you in, like, clinical and professional terms. And then they, like, will generally change their behavior. But I have I have seen, and on a, a, totally accidentally, that I will do that everywhere, including dates and people flirting with me. 
where I'll like overcorrect and be like, I'm going to talk in professional and clinical terms now. And they're like, oh, okay, you're not, you're not interested in flirting. And I was like, oh, no, no, wait, wait, no, I actually am. I'm sorry. I'm in work mode. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Give me a minute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do that in polygroup too, you know, where, where people will be like, you know, I'm here to meet a sub and I'm like, oh, okay. That's really interesting that you're interested in, in, uh, kink dynamics. Uh, it's maybe not the correct community for you, but also, uh, you're welcome to, to be here. You know, we accept all kinds. So I hope you learn something. And they're like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> this isn't maybe okay. what I wanted, but okay. I've got half an hour before I can politely leave. Yeah. yeah. But I do think yeah. it's, I mean, of course, every so often people come in are awkward or a little creepy or whatever, but I think on the whole, we have a really healthy group and most of the people who, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a reasonably good amount of self-policing within the group, so it's not all on you. Yes. That is super, like, I really appreciate, uh, there are, like, a couple members who, well, I, I can almost count on to, like politely call other people out and i'm like i i appreciate you so much <laughs> thank you for doing that thank you for being here because yes it can be very taxing to like be like oh am i gonna have to babysit this person <laughs> like through through a social because that's awkward and i don't want to do that right you want to get yeah. to actually talk to be social right yeah have yeah fun. it is nice that's reasonable so, yeah right <laughs> i get to do both luckily most of the time yay <laughs> all right so let's take a short break fill up on our wine (laughs) (laughs) the tool shed is a mission-driven education-based sex toy store located in milwaukee wisconsin more than your typical adult store the tool shed provides quality body safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers and they do it all in a comfortable compassionate and welcoming atmosphere not located near milwaukee that's okay the tool shed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. All right, and we are back. 
so Jen, uh, the topic that you wanted to talk about today was sex. <laughs> but let's talk, talk about, about sex, baby. baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. And you and you and you. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about sex. Well, there's a lot to cover. So where would you like to begin? Oh, what what is sex? I think that's a great place to start. <laughs> My definition of cha- of sex has definitely changed over the year. I think, um, you know, being brought up in like this very strict patriarchal s- household that I was brought up in, um, if it wasn't penis and vagina, like it wasn't sex. It didn't count. <laughs> um, and, you know, like... Up until probably, I don't know, five years ago or so, like even blowjobs, I was like, yeah, it's oral sex. Yeah, sex is in the name, but it's just a blowjob, like whatever. And then I kind of went through this phase where um, maybe I'm still there a little bit where there's a bit of hypocrisy because I have sex both with men and or I should say people with penises and people with vaginas or vulvas like if the person had a vulva, then it was sex. But if it was a penis, then not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I have kind of come to, I'm not sure where I am exactly on it. Sex can be very inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of us actually go through that kind of mental journey because mm-hmm. there's so much cultural conditioning of like your virginity is you have not had a penis inside your vagina or if you're a man your penis has not been in someone's vagina and there's so much weight on that culturally that i think it's hard to figure out you know especially if you come out younger than um than your story suggests Mm -hmm. like am i having sex when does it become sex like where is that line it's it can be very challenging mental hopscotch or -hmm. if you're like not having sex because you don't want to lose your virginity even inside that hypernormative patriarchal context context it can be well a little insane you always hear those stories of like young religious kids who are having oral sex and anal sex because that's not sex it doesn't count it doesn't count (laughs) the what is uh garfunkel notes calls it the like jesus's loophole (laughs) (laughs) anal sex uh, yeah right. um yeah I, and i actually it, i had like a pretty big revelation at probably five or six years ago about what is sex when i was thinking about like my number right and i was like well if we're just counting piv then it's x but i've been with women what do, okay yeah of course then oral sex is sex so then it's this many and then it's like well wait right. <laughs> oral sex is sex then it's this many and then I was like, but also I've been with someone where we kept our clothes on and they used a Hitachi through my underwear. That counts too. Right. And then I was like, shit, right. what is sex? I guess it's just, it's kind of like our definition of what is a play party? If you're having a good time, <laughs> it's a party, right? right? So I guess if you're having a good time, it's sex. I don't know. I feel like for me, a big part of it, it's context. If I'm going to the doctor and they want to know you know, if I'm sexually active, Mm -hmm. you know, it's different. And also being on the same page as my partners, it's like, well, did you have sex with someone? Well, define sex. Right. (laughs) Like what's might be sex. You might not be sex to me, you Mm -hmm. know? And I I inadvertently, when I was in my early twenties, lied to partners. I said, no, absolutely. We didn't have sex. 
And then in my head, I was like, I mean, I went down on him, but that doesn't count, right? right. You know, and and of course, that it's was way before job. I learned about really good communication and, and making sure your partners are aware of your uh, sexual activities. Um, and of course, it would come out eventually. And then they'd be like, hey, what the fuck? You lied to me. And I was like, no, nah, no, I didn't at all. I, I don't know. Hairs with we, you. Didn't yeah. have, we didn't have yeah, sex. Yeah, it's fine. How I define sex, sex mm-hmm. didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been an interesting conversation uh, with me in one of my recent relationships with somebody who's not doesn't identify as poly and identifies as a straight cisgendered man. Because he was like, you know, I, I really I need to wait to have sex. And I was like, I'm sorry, I think it's way too late that we've already had sex. Right. So, <laughs> like, you know, and it was clear, like, he's operating from this much more traditionalist definition. And like, you know, okay, like, I don't want to pressure you to do anything you don't want to do. And there's things that I won't do without a more intimate context than we have. Right. But I still think that it's hard to argue that we haven't had sex. (laughs) And I think this leads to to the next thing I want to talk about, which is um, risk aware sex and, you know, um, having no no risk or low risk for STIs. I think that's a big conversation, bigger conversation than for this podcast just STIs and sex health and having open conversations about that, not just with your partners, but with your healthcare providers as well. Yeah. And actually it's, it's been really nice to find someone um, here in Milwaukee. Uh, There's this place called Holden street clinic and they are like grant funded. So they, they're not necessarily in a, position to pass judgment because they just want to know the the facts right so they're like we will test you for everything for 40 dollars as long as you're honest and i'm like okay cool i i can get behind that and talking about being bisexual talk about being polyamorous they didn't even bat an eye they were just like that's fine. Cool. Awesome. That's she had, it was a part on their form. Yeah, you know, say, I like, remember them actually saying, like, yeah. so do you have sex with men and, or mm-hmm. women or both? You How know? many times have you had PIV sex? How many times have you had oral sex? Anal right. sex? Is that uh, on the table? You know, like, things that I definitely didn't get asked from a doctor, like my regular practitioner. Right. And then even going to Planned Parenthood, they would only test for, like, three things, whereas this place, they tested for a, a full panel. And, um, well, what's really nice about that is that uh, I, I don't feel like I have to censor myself with the, right. th- with this particular um, testing clinic, because I know that the more honest I am, the better their like factual data will be, and so I kind of feel like I'm. It's science, right? <laughs> right? Well, like, one of the better healthcare you get, and the better yes. Well, yeah. and I think I mean. I do not mean to sound like I am critical of Planned, Her- Planned Parenthood. Like I love Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. I do too, and. <laughs> Like, they really do a lot of risk calculation in that conversation. Yes. So yes. I have had them decline to test me when yep. I want I to be tested. Yeah. And, you know, H- HIV, they're of, like, you're not a risk. We're not going to test you. And yeah, I'm like, exactly. Oh, okay. And I think, boy, you know, if I'm sitting here asking you for tests, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you're declining. Yeah. Now, they have a different mission. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not their prime. I mean, health is their main mission. But, I mean, it, you know, I can see why they maybe are making different choices, possibly even based on the evidence that is developed out of places like the Holton Street Clinic. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, we know that statistically the chances of somebody who has the history you've described uh, (laughs) being exposed to this, that, or the other thing is so low that it is absolutely not worth our money to test you. But it still is an uncomfortable experience. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. 
And I do think Planned Parenthood has some wonderful resources um, about risk and assessing your risk. And um, they've got a whole PDF sheet I've seen of like, you know, no risk sexual practices, low risk sexual practices, you know, things you can do to make um, your sexual practices less risky, you know, um, well, we like to say the only no risk sexual practice is masturbation. And even then you could hurt yourself. <laughs> like, so, so like there's there's risk, at least a, a minute risk to all sex. Right. Even the safest form of contraception has that one or point one percent. Right. Of like it could fuck up. Who knows? Right. Everybody is different. Um, and then we like to say the the and then there's the ultimate STI of getting pregnant. <laughs> it's like it's the STI amber. that lasts like 25 to life. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say that like, I, there have been uh, doctors and just, just from seeing them like wearing a crucifix necklace and I've been like, Oh, I'm going to censor uh, what information I tell them, you know, where, um, whereas at, at, especially at like this clinic, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold back on anything. I don't give a shit. <laughs> whereas before I was like, well, no, they're a doctor I have to see all the time. I'm going to tell them what they need to know, meaning like, sure, I've had sex whatever amount of time and I would like to get tested because of X, Y, Z, whatever. But maybe I don't have to tell them I'm poly or maybe I don't have to tell them I've had sex with multiple people just that I want to be tested or something, you know, like the information I feel needs to be released without feeling unsafe or mm-hmm. or like i want to i don't know be or judged. being judged right. and they're judged, often not yeah. even trained to ask for a lot of that information no so not at all it's easy in many medical contexts to yeah. censor yourself especially when you pass as like a heterosexual woman married woman specifically like they're like oh well we don't even why are you even yeah testing? what are your like, concerns what are you doing? yeah like yeah, yeah. what are you doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can You're I not an concerned invite? he's cheating on you, are you? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Although it was really interesting, um, going to Planned Parenthood recently, they had a lot of questions that I, I totally understood where they were coming from, but it was interesting. They're like, so if you were to get an STI and you were to tell your partner, would you be afraid for your life? And I was like, oh, wow. shit. That's an intense question. Yeah. I was like, no. And I'm so sad that you have to ask that. Right. But But no, no. <laughs> um so yeah, there's uh, they, and I'm they have really to go through some screening like that. Yes, and yeah, I was really glad too, but I was like, oh, this makes me so sad. Yeah, yeah. So, but you wanted to talk about sex, not just about <laughs> right, yes. healthcare. right? Because I am a hedonist at my core, <laughs> <laughs> and really, like, I don't like to do things out of obligation, and it's all about pleasure. And I just through my poly journey like i've had the opportunities to explore more and i wanted to talk about um really the exploration of sex and of yourself and your own body and um really getting in touch with yourself literally like i am a big fan of masturbation <laughs> um and i I feel like i always have been but over the past few years like i've really like gotten more in this sounds weird but involved in it and it doesn't sound weird no it sounds awesome (laughs) like but like i know how it feels but like really looking seeing what's there and getting more familiar with it and i think 
Holly has opened that door because of being with various partners who are like, you know, send me that sexy <laughs> selfie. <laughs> Let mm-hmm. me see how wet you are. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see how turned on you are. And swapping those pics like gives me that opportunity to see what's going on down there and mm-hmm. like what turns me on. And mm-hmm. I yeah. think like, that's how different it looks and your own body when right. you're like just sitting around versus like a little turned on, <laughs> which is like, whoa, holy right. cow. <laughs> right. it, does look, it looks different. Definitely. So cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when all the blood goes to a certain area in your body, right. it changes colors, it changes everything yeah size texture right and i think just being more comfortable in your own body helps you be more comfortable with your partners and you know um i've definitely explored more with like the sexting and the sexy selfies and that kind of stuff picture mm-hmm. exchanges porn i feel like can be a double edged sword sometimes because so much of it is just produced it feels like you know it's so pretty and (laughs) i'm like this doesn't feel real at all right (laughs) like their makeup's perfect the hair's perfect like who fucks with those long nails (laughs) seriously like no no no. i don't want those anywhere your eye makeup should be running by now (laughs) (laughs) right um but there is there's so much porn out there and to be able to explore different kinds of porn and to find amateur porn where people have bodies that look like yours, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think for me at least has built some confidence too. Mm-hmm. Feminist porn. Also looking into feminist porn, there's usually like curvier bodies or queer bodies and queer interactions. Um, I know that I haven't actually watched many of them, but the, Jisley came to the tool shed and did a book signing, which was awesome. And I think they showed scenes from one of the porns that they were in and they crash pad, the crash pad series. And there were like people with disabled bodies and people with, um, uh, well, definitely d- different diversity when it comes to ethnicity and age and body shape and size. And I was like, oh man, this is not like anything I've ever seen before. This it. is not like quote unquote porn really like it was like something totally different and that was amazing but yeah i i highly recommend crash pad and their series it's it's like a it's like a seven part series or something it's like really really neat yeah mostly queer i would say so predominantly queer stuff (laughs) well and i think that's something too in porn where like there's so much girl on girl which does not mm-hmm. look queer with the at all. long fingernails right. exactly. oh going inside what? of a vulva, and you're like, "What yeah. are you doing?" Yeah, right. As yeah. the opposite of arousing. Right. Right. Exactly. Oh, pardon me. How hard can I clench these muscles shut? Yeah. It takes you right out. Like I, get, I don't think men necessarily, like, or at least people socialize as men necessarily will see that and be like, "Oh yeah, that's not a problem." <laughs> it's like we anyone who has a vulva is like, "Oh no, it's a problem." Right. Like that's not okay. Right. What if one of those fake nails came up inside you? <laughs> oh no. Sorry. Micro tears. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to lose a joint scream in for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. One of the things that I've also learned over the course of my journey is I've always felt like I can again, big fan of masturbating. I can make myself come really hard. I'm really good at this. <laughs> um, but Sex with a partner, I could never really get there. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I just thought, like, I don't orgasm. That's just it. And fortunately, like, in my marriage, my, my ex-husband was really good about, like, helping me finish, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not just being like, I'm done. We're done. <laughs> good night. But in throughout the course of my poly journey, having sex with multiple people and different experiences, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God. I just had multiple orgasms, but they weren't that hard clitoral, like, oh, my God, I'm done. And now I need to sleep and, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of orgasm. And that, like, opened a whole new door for me of, like, oh, let's do that again. Like, totally, yeah, completely different feeling because I didn't even know it was possible for Mm -hmm. that to happen. And from that, then with another partner like experiencing a cervical orgasm and i was like holy cow mm-hmm. my body does these things i didn't know it could do mm-hmm. um so yeah that's something too that i don't know if other people experience that but again and maybe that's part of the culture we live in where it's like just penis and vagina and he gets off and then you're done Mm-hmm. And maybe you're just not orgasmic because you didn't come. Sorry. Well, and I think that's also something where, you know, we're so socialized around what you've just described. And it's hard to learn how to make yourself come. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least mm-hmm. for some people. Like, you know, there are these lucky girls who, whatever, like ride their bikes. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was not one of those girls <laughs> yeah. either. And it took me a long time to be able to get myself off. And then, like you said, to be able to get there with partners. And one of the things, so my comet partner and I um, first started seeing each other when we were 17. And, <laughs> you know, so there's been some off again as well as the on again. But one of the things that, um, has really shifted like from a 17 year old boy and a 17 year old girl to a 49 year old woman and a 50 year old man is like the way that orgasms work has almost like 180 degrees flipped. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. And it's kind of awesome. Like mm-hmm. we are both mm-hmm. like, this is so freaking great. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Like, like, I kind of feel bad that it's really hard for you, but you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> and he's like, that's okay. We'll just make you come again. <laughs> Okay. Again, 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 again. (laughs) But it's really, it is amazing over time to learn your body and learn how to get yourself there in these different ways and learn, like you said, like, oh my God, my body does that. Right. Like, if nothing else comes from this podcast, like, (laughs) get in touch with yourself, literally. <laughs> yeah, and went, it's okay to involve a friend. Sure, sure. I went to this workshop where um it was a a a squirting like female ejaculation workshop and she talked about um how she did not realize that she could squirt until she was 40 years old. And then after that it was like now it's every time. And wow. uh and I was like wow, that's insane to to find out something about yourself that's I mean, orgasm like that's so it seems like something you should find out about when you're, I don't know, 14 or something. But but having an internal orgasm that then led to female ejaculation was something that she didn't find out about until almost like like premenopause. Right. Like we're like she's like super adult at that point. And I was like, damn. So I have a lot of exploring left to do in my life. That's awesome. That's And I was 29 at the time when I saw this and I was like, 
that's fucking awesome i'm yeah. so excited about my future <laughs> about my <laughs> vagina's future <laughs> totally yeah totally totally yeah i definitely still feel like i am learning exciting new things and i am older than both of you so <laughs> i'm here for the future to tell you it keeps getting better <laughs> and i have high hopes for my own future too right right yeah it doesn't end at Right. 40, 50, 60, right? Like, I know so many people. Um, Joan Price is an amazing author, and she wrote Naked at Our Age, specifically about being um, sexual after 60. And now I think she's over 70, so she's also writing books about, like, uh, being 70 or, or older and having sex and talking about how she has, like, all these hot young partners and That's like fantastic. you know and it's so cool it is really really hot awesome young partners who are 55 yes exactly <laughs> right yeah they're not that young but also comparatively, guess, comparatively yes yes that um, is awesome i think i need to look what's the book again joan price uh naked at our age is actually the book that she wrote after and i've read it uh and it's amazing uh it's essentially like the q a of all of the questions she has gotten from people over the past i don't know 10 years of being a sexual educator specifically to um, people over 60. And so a lot of it is either stories or it's um, uh, questions asking for advice and then her advice. And some of them are really heartbreaking stories of like, my husband died 10 years ago and I haven't had an orgasm since. And now the muscles have atrophied and I can't insert anything into my body bigger than a pinky finger. And I'm like, oh no, oh my God, oh shit, this is so horrible. And then... And then advice on how to deal with that and the kind of like things that you need to do. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really good book, but it's also, yeah, there are parts where I'm like, oh no, or, or, or women that were married for, for 40, 50 years, never had an orgasm in their life. And then their husband died and then they're like, I'd like to have an orgasm now. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was a little more excited about the book before the sad stories. <laughs> no, that was just like one part that really came like like stuck in my memory. A lot of it was very happy, very sexy, fun times. But I was like really, I think, moved. And also I tried to remember those parts because I do get people to come into the tool shed who have never had an orgasm before and are looking to me or, or to the store or whatever to help. And some I'm, kind of tool. Yes, yeah, some something. tool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so lucky. I had a very sex positive therapist when I was a sophomore in college who mm-hmm. like the second or third time that I went to her office, she gave me a copy of the Good Vibrations catalog. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so dating myself, but <laughs> like a paper actual physical catalog <laughs> right, right. with no photographs. It was all line drawings. Oh, interesting. Even of all the toys. I think there must have been like obscenity Oh, sure. Male concerns and stuff. Um, And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) all right, I'm going to buy something. (laughs) And like that, I mean, it, yeah, that definitely was kind of like your story about the woman who had the first um, squirting orgasm at. 40. 40. Yeah, I think she was like, 40, yeah. I had this moment of like, holy shit, holy shit, my body can do this. Oh, my God. I, mm. I love you, Toy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're going to be my longest-term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be together forever. <laughs> well, you know, sadly, the motor did eventually um, out, But that's okay, because there were more. Yep. Right. I'm yep. a serial monogamist for that toy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my third one. <laughs> uh, another great resource was a book at the for the tool sheds book club come as you are mm-hmm. i think it's emily, emily nagoski nagoski yes. 
um, which I think is can be a really good, great tool for a lot of people who can't get out of their head to enjoy sex or to have orgasm. Um, she talks about like the accelerators and the brakes and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it had a lot of really great information in that book. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I highly rem- recommend it as well. Yeah, the turnoffs being the, uh, the brakes and the turn-ons being the accelerators and how you can make sure that your life doesn't have as many brakes in it and how many and and has more accelerators and then she just like it's a it's essentially a science book but it's pretty easily um digestible for sure of like how you can hack your desire and the problems that you're having with desire and then also the things that um you can do to to help yourself. There's also now it just came out very recently a workbook that's alongside of it that you can um, have if you want to like actually do the exercises with your partner or just with yourself. Um, yeah, it's a really amazing book. Yeah, it's fantastic. Love, yeah, yeah, I love how she talks about you know like our genitals. Everybody's genitals are essentially the same parts, just rearranged differently, mm-hmm. and yeah. they look men and bit, women right, all the same exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. and that like. Pretty much everyone's like if if every single person read this book and had to come away with one line, the the line is my I am normal. You know, like like, that's what she really is like trying to drive home to drive home is is uh, you are normal unless your body is in intense pain. It's normal. So like no matter what your body looks like, no matter what you are um, experiencing, it's normal. It's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I loved that so much. It was really, really enlightening. And it was as I was reading it, it really came like across as like something that should be required reading of everyone because I was like, I really wish and she does hit hit home like things, certain points over and over and over again, which can be um, exhausting to read because I'm like, oh, wow, she really wants she really wants us to know this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing book. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. For sale at the tool shed? Definitely for sale at the tool shed, <laughs> yeah. We just had it as our book club, and it was a great it was a great uh, discussion that we had. Oh, do you have the Coming at Any Age? What was the title again? I forgot it already. Uh, Come As You Are. No, oh, the, the other, other one. one. The, oh, the, you mean the... Um, the aging age, one. Love at oh, any oh, age. oh, the aging one. Joan Price, Naked at Our Age. There we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, it had something to do with sex. <laughs> yes, yes. I prefer yes, sex yes. naked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And you also have that. And we also have that, yeah. Yeah, toolshedtoys.com. <laughs> so how has polyamory led you to explore more um, sexual experiences? I mean, it makes sense, right? You're, you does. get to have more people in your life. Right, but. exactly. And being able to... How do I want to say this? <laughs> I wish that the people listening could see the smile on your face. It's so great. You clearly have something delicious you're about to say. I love being able to explore the variety and the uniqueness of each sexual relationship and what one person enjoys sexually in bed, like might not be what another person does. And just being able to explore that and for myself, like getting my needs met in different places instead of 
I mean, my least favorite thing in the world is obligation. And mm-hmm. I do not want to do something sexually with someone if they're not into it. Oh like, God, yeah, totally. you are not going to like it. <laughs> I am not going to like it. Like, mm-hmm. don't do it for me. Right. Do it because you want to, because this excites you. That is and maybe- if it doesn't, then I'll I'm gonna look over here yeah. and see. That's my biggest complaint about Dan Savage, actually, like the good giving in game idea. Like, hmm. okay, you know what? If you want to try something that you don't know whether you're gonna like it or not, and your partner really wants to, like, okay, good. I will let you try something that you maybe even think like I don't know once. Right. But like, because you don't know unless you, you try. try it, and then you're not into it. Like, we are never gonna do that thing again right. because it is not fun for me if it is not fun for you. Right. Right. Yeah. And the more. Like, the more my partner enjoys it, the more pleasurable it is for me. For sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like that can go, um, I don't know, I, I was talking to someone recently about oral sex, and, they're, and they were talking from the perspective of, like, if a guy doesn't want to go down on a woman, you shouldn't date them, <laughs> right? Because, like, that guy is not good giving in game, right? And if, if a woman wants it and the guy doesn't want to give it... Um, Sure, that's his right, but also, according to this person, then I'm just not going to date that person. And uh, and I was like, that's fair. Sure, if that's something that you need in your relationship, and that's like a a, a desire of yours that that you really want, fair. But on the opposite end, the guy who's only interested in oral sex because that's his thing, and he needs to get you off because like. It's almost his fetish or something. Right. That can be very, yes, and an ego boost. That can be very annoying. That can be super, super hard to handle. And, um, yeah, I, and and then there's the people who are like, I am the best at oral sex. Oh, my God, I hate those people. (laughs) Never date them. Like, those are the people you don't date. Yes. Like, that rule clearly applies in that context. And it's like, okay, dude. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Like, how are you supposed to answer that? Prove yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I usually I tell care, people yeah. in that, like, if I'm on an early date or, you know, they're like, ah, you know, I'm kind of more into hands. Right. Like, yes. I don't even want to, like, if you're going to go there, like, uh, let's see if we could not go there. Because, uh, I mean, you know, it can be great. I'm not knocking oral sex. But I think for me, I feel like that's something that works a lot better if the people really know me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, sure. You know. It's not like they call it like what third base, but it really I feel like third base is sex is PIV <laughs> sex or whatever. And then like you got to know someone and you want to know their body. Yeah. And maybe oral sex isn't the way to explore that. Maybe other ways are the way to explore that. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's to me, more intimate than, Absolutely. than PIV sex. Right? Absolutely. But it often is the, because I think porn has conditioned us in so many ways and just people's, other people's experience has conditioned us that that's, that's what you do first. So you go down on them first and then you can have other types of sex, but but that's first. Here's the playbook. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. First play with their nipples. Then... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, to the wet, point then. where, like, oral sex is almost just considered foreplay. Right. And yes. again, not even real not sex. Not real sex. Then. Yeah. Even though it's in the name. <laughs> right. And it's also. And and I and I had somebody talk to me about foreplay when they were and they were talking about, like, oral sex is not foreplay um, because sex is in the name. Foreplay is everything up to anything sexual. And then I was like, shit, 
But isn't c- kissing? Couldn't that be sexual? I, I well, definitely. Yeah, you know is. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. so. But is it sex? Probably not. But so kissing can be foreplay. Right. But then I was like, how often do we as a culture, anyone really, people, skip foreplay? If it's anything but sex, like some people just go right to sex. <laughs> so, right. so right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for playing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but again, that's my definition of sex would be very different from that. So like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to spend a lot of time doing all of these things that maybe in the traditional heterosexual model of sex are under the box called foreplay mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like in my mind they're in the box marked sex hand sex is right. still sex right? right like so yeah so that's also sex yeah right mm-hmm. yeah if somebody's touching my genitals or if i'm touching theirs mm-hmm. uh, we are having sex mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my mind mm-hmm. most people are not perfectly aligned with the things that they enjoy and and that's not a judgment on anybody. It's just we're all a little different. And it's amazing that in this content, and particularly, I think, for those of us who do identify as some flavor of queer that is not at either end of the spectrum, or some, some flavor of sexual orientation that's not at either end of the spectrum. Like, if you are in a monogamous relationship, you have to pick. You can only mm-hmm. have, like, a person at whatever point in the spectrum they are. Mm-hmm. And... So if you are a person who wants to experience penis sex and vagina sex, right, 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 you, 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 you can't. You right. have to be poly, or you have to. There has to you be, some to be sort of non-monogamous where, in yeah, some way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's. Um, it's interesting. I would say that for all sexual partners that I've had in my life, pretty much every single experience has been different, or every person has been different, right? Oh, sure. And I think it's really awesome and and amazing that I've gotten to experience different people and even like there's not huge variation between one dick and another right but sometimes how they use it it's very very different yes. right two penises sure. can look exactly the same and then that person is going to be using it in an entirely different way and it is a totally different experience and that I is agree. awesome like that's so cool i've definitely had that experience as well where it just feels different like you're like you feel like you right. <laughs> and like no one else i've ever had sex with before you know and, and maybe also some of it can be kind of like energy uh, sure. as much as you want to believe that but like I'm down Again. for that. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, the energies of people feel so differently, for better or for worse, right? Like, yeah. some experiences I've had have been really bad. And I'm like, I am never going to have sex with you again. This was bad energy. And I couldn't necessarily say that it was their body parts or their, like, anything else. Sometimes it comes down to, you smelled bad. <laughs> or the way that you kissed was like a vacuum oh that, my that also for some reason was also like a brother like, <laughs> you know, you know, like oh. it's the worst so like like they're there and 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 maybe they weren't doing anything differently than the next person but it was different and mm-hmm. you can't really pinpoint it sometimes like yeah, but the way that you the energy people is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. each one of those is unique. And that, I think, does come back to what you started out talking about, actually. Like, you want to let each relationship sort of evolve into its own unique exactly. thing. And that connection is going to be unique. And that's those sexual experiences are going to be unique. 
exactly at the end of the day like at the end of my life not just the end of the day but the (laughs) end of my life like i want to look back and be able to see a life full of experiences and i hope and to this point most of them have been amazing experiences not Mm -hmm. just sexual but just in general but the sex is good too Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) right it's and yeah to be able to experience love and sex and relationships in all its different forms yeah that's the goal i love that Mm -hmm. that's awesome and no regrets (laughs) right that'd be nice so uh, I guess I, I kind of end the podcast sometimes with saying with asking this question of uh, do you have any advice <laughs> for people about sex? <laughs> Usually it's a different topic, so it's, it's a little if bit easier to ask. If you have a yeah. local toy store, you should go explore it Absolutely. because there are many great ways to figure out what will work for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, com- communication with your partners, um, trust definitely fits in there as well. The more safe you feel with your partners, I feel like the more willing you are to explore with them, Mm -hmm. try new things, maybe something neither one of you have ever done before, but you know, once saw in a porn somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have secretly been thinking about since third grade. Right, (laughs) like that secret (laughs) fantasy, go do that, Um, yeah. Live, live life have lots of experiences not all of them are going to be great but learn what you can from the shitty ones and yeah. um have fun be a hedonist <laughs> i love that don't make that the title <laughs> Damn it. Okay, fine. Right. Let's sure. be a hedonist with Jen. But she added out your last name. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. Thank you so Are much you for sure being on. Yeah. Thank you for That's having me. Otherwise, I was you. thinking, let's talk about sex with Jen. Let's talk about sex. With yeah, I like that one. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. So that is it from us at Polyamory and Censored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank my husband, Rob, for helping us through our many sound issues and thank myself for editing the podcast so we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. We will forever be grateful for any contribution you can manage to making this podcast better and more efficient. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.